podcast one production. We eventually closed the business, lost all the money. And it was, it was a particularly difficult period in my life. And I actually did think for, for quite some time that I'm never going to recover from this. My career is done. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. Today, how to cope with setbacks with my guest, Neil Acklin, CEO of Junkie Media and one of Australia's most respected and successful digital leaders. We all experience setbacks and the reality is that setbacks are deeply impactful. We feel them and it's often really hard to react positively. You might recall a famous quote by a Stoic philosopher called Epictetus, and he says, it's not what happens to you, it's how you react that matters. My personal view is you can choose to be better or you can be bitter, but it's an attitude that really evades many of us. My guest, Neil Ackland, is one of Australia's most respected and successful digital leaders. He's a CEO and co-founder of Junkie Media, Australia's leading youth publisher, and he's also behind some of Australia's most loved and successful media brands, including AWOL and In The Mix. Neil, your professional success has been in part due to your ability to cope with setbacks, and you've had a few. Is that right? Oh, have I had some setbacks, let me tell you. Um, There is one particular setback that I thought I'd share with you today that just um, every time I think about it and I go back to that place, I laugh and I cry inside and outside. Um, So before I launched Junkie Media, so this is probably going back about 10 years now, I was actually working in the music industry and and, uh, had our website in the mix. And we were selling tickets to to, a fe- to festivals and dance parties on, on the website. We actually had this idea that we could turn this into another business, another ticking company that we could build adjacent to our, our other business. And um, we had this really revolutionary idea that we were going to change the ticketing industry online. And we had all this youthful exuberance and, and you know, no one was going to stop us. And we uh, went out there and, and raised capital from investors. We were uh, very lucky to raise over one and a half million dollars of capital for this ticketing business. We came up with a name, which was QJump. And we went out there and pitched it to some of the big festival promoters in Australia. And we were very lucky to be in a situation where, where we secured Australia's biggest festival at the time, which is Splendour in the Grass, which is yeah. still probably the biggest festival today. And um, if you're not familiar with the sort of fever that surrounds these events, when they go on sale, you know, 100,000 people try to buy 20,000 tickets and it's utter chaos. Everyone is so desperate not to experience FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. And it drives this, this sort of fervent desire to get the tickets. And so um, we secured them as our launch partner, which was, Pretty Amazing, big, yeah. pretty big, um, pretty terrifying. And all of the other ticking partners said, look, we'll come on this journey with you, but if you can handle Splendour in the Grass, you know, even the big guys, Ticker Tech and those guys were had struggled to handle the load that would come from this event. And we were like, no worries, we've got this covered. We've got our backing, we've got our investment money, we're going to build this incredible ticking system. And um, as the day, the on-sale day grew closer and closer, we had this sickening sort of dread feeling that we weren't going to be able to achieve uh, what we'd promised. And it was really just this case of the tech guys really sprinting as fast as they could to try and finish it and, you know, just really hoping that it was going to work but not really knowing. So the day comes around. There's mass anticipation around this. Everyone's getting ready to log on at 9am to buy their tickets, mm. hundreds of thousands of people all across Australia. 
And I remember waking up that morning, uh, probably four or five in the morning and saying to my wife, well, today's the big day. And just kind of knowing this sick feeling in my stomach that it maybe wasn't going to go to plan and her giving me a hug and me leaving the house and going to the office. And sure enough, you know, the time comes 9am, we go on sale and the ticking system just completely shat itself, imploded. So no tickets? No tickets. Some people bought a ticket, got 10. Some people thought they bought 10, didn't didn't get any. Some people were blocked, couldn't get onto the site. The whole system completely crashed. And what proceeded to happen from there was um, was utter chaos. Um, The day that followed was, was one of the worst days of my life, it's fair to say. I as the front guy, as the CEO of the business, was fielding calls with the press and talking to the media all day long, trying to deal with the promoters of the festival, dealing with angry complaints. We had our phone systems were jammed, our email systems were jammed, thousands of people angry um, angry at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, me having to, I think I did about 10 interviews that day with Triple J and everybody else. And in fact, that day, Triple J made me the Friday fuckwit on air. Which pretty much just topped off the day as far as I was concerned. This is an extraordinary setback. I could call it something else, but it's a massive setback for you personally, professionally. You've got your name all over it. Can't hide behind anybody else. You've got investors' money that you've basically lost. You've got a festival that's so many people love that's real. I mean, I can go on. I don't want to make you feel bad right now, Neil. But how did you cope personally? And then I want to know how you coped professionally. What were the two things, you know, in those two things that you needed to do to get through? Well, the first thing I think that was that was really important was to try and steady the ship with the team. And and they were they were all freaking out and kind of lost at sea. And so we had to try and pull everyone in that day and, and come up with a, a sort of a disaster plan to try and get through that first day. And then I was, uh, you know, out front trying to, to deal with the press and deal with the clients. And... To be honest, it was just a whirlwind day. And I remember leaving the office probably like 10 or 11 p.m. that night and um, and going home to my wife. And, you know, you have to front up and you have to be strong all day. And I remember closing the door and just literally bursting into tears in front of my wife. And um, this part of the story really goes to, I guess, the yin and the yang of the situation in that um, uh, my wife's, you know, supporting me and listening to me. And then she says to me, look, you know what? It's going to be okay. She said, I've got some news to tell you. I'm pregnant. Right. Probably the worst day of my life ended with this very high moment and it just cut through. It cut through everything and I just got straight back to the very core of what was most important and I was still having, you know, the worst day of my life but I was able to just bring it back to centre and realise that there was a lot more to this. And um, You're bringing a and new life and right. you're going to be a father. I was going to be okay. And you were going to be okay. <laughs> Even though the world was angry at you. Yes. Um, And sadly, the saga went on for a lot longer than that. We eventually closed the business, lost all the money. Um, And it was was a particularly difficult period of my life. And I I actually did think for for quite some time that I'm never going to recover from this. My career is done. How am I going to come back from this? So how did you come back, Neil? Because you are incredibly successful. You've got more brands under your belt and they're super successful. You considered an absolute thought leader and practitioner in this area of digital leadership. How do you you move on? Like what happened in those 10 years and what did you have to do personally and professionally to be able to move on? 
I think the thing that really struck me at that point was that, you know, you're not just one person in isolation. You're a whole team of people and they're all looking to you and they're depending on you to help them through this situation. You know, you're paying their salaries and and they've come on this journey with you. They've signed up to your North Star and they're saying, okay, we're on this journey. We believe in you. And so you have a responsibility and a duty to them. And that's what leadership is all about at the end of the day. You have to put your your personal feelings aside and you have to project confidence and you have to send signals, visual cues, what you say, how you act, your body language. Everything is sending signals to the people around you. And that's important whether you're running a big business or a small business or you're just dealing with, you know, one of your um, your staff or your offsiders if you're managing a small team. What you're projecting, what you're putting out there, the signals they're picking up on. So I just decided that I had to do everything I could to keep the ship running for all of these people around me and that I wasn't going to let this one beat me down and I just fought my way through it. And it did take a very long time, but we were able to come out the other side. And, you know, 10 years later, we can stand here and laugh about it and we're recording a podcast about that moment. And it doesn't even, doesn't even, it's not even a speck on my radar. I, I barely think about it and I, I find it actually quite funny now that we're talking about it. It's a massive, you know, failure. Do you learn from these things? Do you take it or do you just cope with it? Do you just survive through it? Or is it a really big sort of part of your lesson to create the next business? Oh, I think I think that it's actually quite well documented that lots of investors in businesses actually much prefer to back someone who's been for a big failure because they understand that that person knows how to come back. They're a fighter. They're not going to get beaten down and they understand the pain of, of failing and therefore that's an even bigger motivator to not go back to that place again and that's one of the things for me that when I went through that process I thought well I need to be able to learn from this and I did I learned an awful lot about that you know something that was a big lesson for me as a young person was around hubris and just really being able to stop and, and pause and go okay am I am I in my have I gone too far out of my comfort zone here am I Am I overcommitted? Is this something that's realistic that we can actually achieve? And how do I apply that thinking to my decisions moving forward so that I don't end up in that situation again? So I've got a question that it goes back to that situation. This idea about delivering bad news to people, your team, you care about, you've brought them along for your vision, your North Star. How do you do that? I think you just got to be really honest. Um, there are certain situations in business where you can't say everything, obviously, but I just believe in situations good and bad, you have to try and share as much information as you can. And I think that's what leadership is about as well, is communicating to your team so that they feel empowered with the knowledge and they can come on that journey with you. Mm. And even in those difficult moments, I think as long as everyone feels that they know where they're going, even if in your own mind you think, I have no idea where we're going, um, that's what is required to to keep people moving along with you. Mm. So this idea of the resilience muscle means that as you're going through life, you need to be able to almost anticipate pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, doing things that are a bit harder and harder. So when you do come across a setback, you're actually better able to cope with it. Did you have some experience before your big setback that enabled you to test your resilience muscle? Well, at that stage I'd been, I mean, I started my first business when I was 23. So I've always been uh, an entrepreneur. I've never really known any different. And I think that set me up very well to deal with 
the highs and the lows. I mean, being an entrepreneur is um, is thankless, and you know, also being a CEO of a business. Uh, there's we often talk about this. Nobody cares how the CEO feels at the end of the day because you're running the business, and no one wants to listen to the CEO complaining about a bad day or what's going on. You just get on and do it. You're the person at the top. You're not the person that ever complains. That's what your executive coach is for. It's very lonely at the top. <laughs> and um, so I think I just learned those coping mechanisms in small, sort of medium and large ways from running a business from a very early age. And um, I, I guess maybe it goes back to my childhood and just um, some of the experiences I had when I was younger that enabled me to be able to cope with, you know, these situations big and small and, and to sort of brush it off and just keep going pick yourself back up again and keep on going, yeah. keep trying. And it's a bit of a mindset thing too, isn't it? That totally. like, um, And you've got some really great tips that you're going to share with us. Um, but one of them, I think, refers to the mindset. Yeah. So I was thinking about this in terms of what did I really take out of that big setback and just generally my setbacks in my life. And and a, a question I always ask myself, and I, I ask this question to staff and situations, people come in my office, oh my God, something terrible has happened. Oh, well, this client's unhappy or this is going on. I'm like, okay, let's just break this down. Everyone bring it down a level. What's the worst thing that can happen here? Like go out there, go to the worst place. What is the absolute worst situation you can possibly envisage that could come out of this situation? Well, you know, we might lose the client. Okay, well, that's that's bad. But how bad is it really? Okay, well, it's not that bad. I mean, how could we get them back? What could we do? And that just helps me all the time. And I think when you've been all the way out there to the edge and you've had these really big situations and these really big failures and these really big setbacks and you've realized that actually it's not that bad and you'll live to fight another day, it just means that you're able to bring your levels down and and understand that this is just a, a blip in the road, just a small bump that you'll be able to move through. What I love about that is I follow the Stoics and that's what they say. The Stoics are based on the great philosophers like Seneca and Epictetus and others. And one of the major tenements of that is to always think what is the worst thing that can happen. And then life actually feels quite light compared to once you've thought about the worst thing that can happen. So I'm really interested that that's one of your philosophies in getting through setbacks and when, through work. When you've been the Friday fuckwheel on Triple J, everything else is pretty easy, <laughs> let me tell you. I, that's just such a great story. It's the random question that everyone asks you, what's a, what's something about you we don't know? What's the second one, Neil? Um, the second one is, is it kind of talks back to that moment when my wife told me that she was pregnant, is that no matter how bad it feels right now, you're always going to you're going to be okay and you're always going to be able to laugh about it and there was just that moment of sort of tears of laughter and joy in that in that difficult moment and and just being here today we're talking about the situation and we're having a good laugh about it and and when you're in the moment when you're in the zone and everything's gone to shit you think oh my god how am i ever going to recover but the reality is the life goes on and there'll always be a moment when you just can just look back at that and go god it felt like a big deal at the time and now it's just an insignificant speck in the grand scheme of my life. And mm. I think that just knowing that, um, I think just centres you and brings you back to what's important. Mm. Fantastic tips, a really great story today. I've loved this session. I've loved talking to you about what it means to deal with a setback. That story is going to stay with me for a long time, particularly as you walked in the door and cried and your wife put her arms around you and said... I'm pregnant, the yin and the yang, the contrast um, and how we deal with setbacks. All of those things can be related right down to when we lose a job or whatever it might be, how we deal with those day to day. So we should always strive to make good choices, but if it doesn't work out, choose your attitude, be better 
not bitter. Fast Track is recorded in the studios of Podcast One Australia. The producer is Brooke Carrigan, audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au.